There's a famous woman that everyone in this room knows who is a big advocate against cyber bullying, Moni. You've all heard of her, but I know that you haven't heard of many of her accomplishments. I just want to share with you some of the things that she's done. She was a gifted young woman, Moni was. She was born to two parents. Uh, her father, the son of a Jewish immigrant who overcame poverty to become a doctor. Her mother was a best-selling author. A woman, uh, uh, or rather, she graduated at the top of her class uh, from one of the most prestigious private liberal arts colleges in America. She also, in pursuit of her dreams, took an unpaid summer internship uh, um, and was uh, given that position by the White House Chief of Staff. She worked so hard in this uh, position, she made herself so indispensable to her boss that eventually he hired her um, for a full-time position in that job. And she also wait, later went on to, uh, on to the London School of Economics, where her thesis is recognized as one of the most important contributions in her area of scholarly interests. You all know Moni, right? No? I should tell you her full name. Her full name is Monica Lewinsky. You've heard of her, haven't you? No? A few of you. Listen. Listen. It's amazing how some of the things that one does in their past, in their youth, has a way of staining them throughout all of their lives, that even through their accomplishments, you don't remember them. You just remember the shame. Here's the problem. That doesn't just extend to this one woman who's accomplished more than me and you could ever dream. It extends to me and you. Sometimes the only lens you could see yourself in is the one of shame. The only thing that you remember is that one moment, that one incident, that thing that you've done that no one could ever forgive you for. That if you said up here, you, that if we put up here, you would run out of this room screaming and crying. But there's a better story to be told. And we're gonna address this issue of shame head on. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that we address our shame and allows us, gives us access to the God who could remove our shame. Every one of us will struggle with shame. Last week, we started to talk about this issue of shame. By the way, we're in a series that's about three weeks um, in now, and we're talking about difficult emotions. We decided to start with the, the issue or the emotion of shame because it's something that so affects every one of us. It so affects you that it affects the way 
you look at yourself. Shame has a way of making a bright young man think that he's stupid. Shame has a way of making a beautiful young woman think that she's ugly. Shame has a way of cont continually making us continually look at ourselves with hateful and sorrowful eyes. And so this is something that we all go through. This is not just something that Christians go through. This is not just something that atheists go through. This is something that we all go through. And so God knows that we're all going to go through this issue of shame. And so he's given us his word to help us. Now, if you weren't here last week, we said that shame is a painful obsession with the self. It's a flight from exposure. Remember what we said? That shameful that shame was a, uh, like a sin of the eyes. Like, right? It's one thing to pick your nose in your apartment when no one else is looking. It's one thing to do it and go, oh, someone is seeing me. That's a different thing altogether. It's an issue of the eyes. That shame is also a violence against ourselves and against others. And shame is the traumatic exposure of nakedness. We went through Genesis, the last verse of chapter 2 and a few verses in chapter 3 to flesh that out, how that all came into being. Listen to, you can go on our website and listen to that talk. And then we said at the end that shame does something. It reveals something. Shame exposes what we worship. It exposes what we worship. The thing that we put our identity in. The thing that we surrender ourselves to. And what is it that we worship? Well, there's a million things that we worship. But some of the, some of the things that we worship that shame uses to really heighten our sense of shame is we worship our reputation that our sin would have been just fine so long as no one found out. We worship our reputation. We worship our self-sufficiency. This is why growing old is so hard. Because as you grow older, you're limited in your scope of ability. And shame creeps in. We we worship our longing for the approval of others. That's why some, many of us, when we're single, we feel like we're walking without a leg, like we lost a part of our body. But when we're romantically connected to someone and we believe that they love us, we're willing to do all sorts of madness to keep them because we don't want the pain of being rejected. Shame reveals itself in all of these idols and more. We are all going to suffer with shame. We're all going to deal with shame. Now, there's a couple of things that we can do. Now, the two most common ways that we have to deal with shame is, number one, let it crush us. Let it completely and utterly crush us. We don't 
think that God could do anything in us, even forgive us. We don't believe that we could even try. Matter of fact, we won't even try to get that promotion at the job because shame has his tentacles wrapped around our throats. We won't even try to uh, create new friendships because shame has us consumed. Consumed with rejection. It, we allow it to crush us. We rehearse the narratives that are in our head. Can I tell you, just before I came up here, I had a couple of scripts run through my brain that told me I can't be talking about this. I don't know about you, but shame has a way of attacking me in the times that I'm most vulnerable. Crush us. That's one way of going through shame. Another way of going through shame is to bury it. Get the shovel out. Suppress it down deep. We'll say things like, and, and, and people have tried to help, but modern psychologists say things like, uh, guilt is, uh, has to do with what you've done. Shame has to do with who you are. And I just... And so... Your, your shame is always, always, always an enemy. An enemy to kill. An enemy to destroy. An enemy to not listen to. But I'm here to tell you that the scriptures teach us that shame is not a weight to crush us, nor an enemy to kill. Otherwise, if we do any one of those, we'll be held captive by the idols that we just talked about. Our reputation, our self-sufficiency, our longing for approval. We'll be held captive to those idols. Instead, instead of dealing with our shame like an enemy, we need to hear what our shame is saying to let it lead us to Jesus. So today, we're going to take a path through the road of shame towards the gospel. And we're going to ask that God would help us to re-examine the way we see shame. And hopefully, it'll illuminate us to what God is trying to do. Because what if, what if God gave you shame not to hurt you, but to hear him. What if God is speaking through your shame to draw you to himself? We could have started anywhere in the Bible. I mean, we could have done, gone to Psalm 25 today. We could have gone. It's just like, it's everywhere in the scriptures. But we're going to pick a small passage in the book of Luke with someone who had to experience and deal with much shame. And for good reason. He was not a good dude. He was in fact considered on the lowest rung of the ladder. We'll get to him in a second. But I want you to know, listen to me, that what we learned about shame is not the way the gospel would have us deal with shame. But rather, if we come to Christ, we can be freed. Remember what we said about how shame uh, grows? Like if we get a Petri dish and then we, we, we put in few ingredients. 
here's the, here's the first ingredient. Secrecy. If you put secrecy, and then you put silence, and then you put judgment, and then you just let that thing grow. We're not interested in that. We're interested in being free. So today, we find ourselves looking at a person who messed up everything. He was considered the lowest in his society. He's never actually named in the Bible. He doesn't have a name. He only has a title. A tax collector. You don't know this, or maybe you do. But in the first century, a tax collector for the Jews was a person who sold out his people in order to go to the uh, ruling authorities, the Romans. And what he would do is the Romans would tell him, you have to collect, pick a number, $100 of taxes from this community. Anything that you get above and beyond that is yours to keep. Now, back then there was no Google search to find out what the amount of appropriate taxes you were supposed to pay. So what this guy would do is he would come up to everyone and he says, I have to collect uh, $1,000 worth of taxes for this group of people. And he would go and ensure he was the arm of the uh, 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 unjust system to keep his own people oppressed, hated by everyone. This person was diabolical and a traitor and no one wanted to be around them. People would cross the street when they saw him come. Talk about living a life of sin and shame. You see, he thought that if he lived in his sin that he would be greater rewarded and what it produced for him was shame. Judgment from the community and even self-imposed shame, judgment from himself. We see him at the end of his leg. Have you ever had an end of a leg? You know what I mean when I'm saying? Like when at the end of the road, we can no longer continue going forward. He had an end of the road moment. And that's where we'll focus our attention on in Luke chapter 18, verses 13 and 14. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Let's read this together. It's just two verses. Now, Jesus is giving this uh, parable. He's sharing this story with us. And he says this on account of three. One, two, three. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This ends the reading of God's word. Have a seat. 
Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who are self-righteous. You know what a self-righteous person is? A self-righteous person is a person who finds their righteousness in their actions. It could be anything. It could be being a good mom or, or being an obedient teenager. It could be anything. Being an abstinent single person, abstinent from like any sexual sin. It could be a self-righteous person, could be a person who finds their righteousness in the amount of sobriety or clean time that they have. They go, as long as I'm clean this amount of time, as long as I'm sober this amount of time, that, that anything, anything, you try to, rather than going to the gospel and saying, Jesus, you died for me. You've given me your righteousness. We try to discover a righteousness of our own. We do this so habitually, we don't even notice it. When someone accuses us, we say things like, I'm a good person. Or our friends tell us, you're a good person. And we tend to agree because we look at the good things that we do. In other words, that is the very definition of a self-righteous person, a person who is trying to find their righteousness in their actions, in their behaviors, in the positions that they hold. Jesus was speaking to this group of people, and he tells them this parable, this parable about a tax collector, the worst of the worst. And then there's this other guy. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's, he's the guy who comes up on Sunday and preaches to a congregation. He's the guy who wears the suit and puts on the microphone and says, thus saith the Lord. He's, he's the guy or girl who comes to a Sunday service because that's the right thing to do on Sundays. It's the self-righteous person. And then there's this other guy who's the loser in the, uh, in the story. He's the one who knows that he's done all, everything wrong. Jesus is telling this story. And then he tells us the prayer that the tax collector says. And I want us to notice from here that we can see, and, and would you write this down, by the way, in your bulletin, there's a, um, there's a, a sermon map that you could write on to guide you through this talk. And the reason we give you this sermon map, and by the way, if you don't have either the sermon map or a pencil, um, just raise your hand, and Ron uh, will get it for you. Okay, we got one, and we got two. Okay, now here's the thing. And, and the reason that we ask you to write it down is because, truly, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. And so you might have to come back to this. So won't you um, hear it? Okay. So, we can see shame as an invitation to grace. You can write that down. Shame is an invitation to grace. It's an invitation to recognize our desperate need for the salvific work of Jesus. It's an invitation from God that says, you aren't what you thought you should be, but he draws you into himself as a son or daughter. Shame is an invitation to grace, something you don't deserve. But the path that enables us to break the power of shame leads us first 
to gutsy guilt. To gutsy guilt. Do you see it here in verse 13? But the tax collector stood at a distance. Shame has a way of beating us down. But I love this tax collector because he comes anyway. He goes to God anyway. He says, the shame is not, I'm not going to act. Here's what happens. You and I, we sin, and then you know what the first thing happens? We go to ourselves, we've sinned. We can't possibly pursue God, and so we stay away. In fact, many of these empty chairs in this room represent people who have sinned, and they're dealing with their shame by abandoning their relationship with God. But this tax collector has gutsy guilt. He knows he's done wrong. He knows that he's uh, 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 taken advantage of people. He knows that his life is a life that has been lived wrongly. He has not stood up to his own standards, let alone God's standards. And he comes. It's at a distance, but he comes. It's at a distance, but he's pursuing. He's going. He fights. He goes, I am going to go before the one who sees it all. That at at whatever stage or age of life I'm in, God is a God with open arms that I can go to with my mess, with my ruined life, with my corrupted marriage with my distraught uh, thoughts and emotions. I can come to God with all of my guilt, with all of my shame, and I can do it with, I can do it in a gutsy way. I can do it in a way that is bold. Why? Because God invites us to himself. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Rest. Rest for your souls. Rest from the burden of shame and guilt. Rest from the oppressive thoughts that hold you down. Rest from that lie that you've been told that no one will ever love you. You are damaged. Good. This, This tax collector, he goes through a path that enables him to break the power of shame, but he's got to go through the, he's got to go through that avenue of gutsy guilt. Not making excuses, not denying that it was, no, 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 no. This is really who I am. I've really messed up. I got no excuses. Gutsy guilt. And gutsy guilt, it's a sorrow. I'm inviting you into a sorrow. But it's a sorrow that liberates. It's a sorrow that sets you free. In fact, if I was taking notes, I would say gutsy guilt, a sorrow that sets us free. That's what gutsy guilt is. It's one that says, yep, that's right. I'm not trying to uh, 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 excuse what I've done. I'm not trying to excuse how others see me. I'm not trying to do any of that. I am coming to God with my sorrow. But it's a sorrow that sets me free. Then, the 
path that enables him to break the power of shame leads him to not only gutsy guilt, but an impossible trust. Gutsy guilt and an impossible trust. Do you see that in verse 13? He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's crazy, right? It's crazy because the stuff that we've done is not imaginary. And the stuff that others have accused us of is maybe, maybe has some merit to it. And yet, he comes with an impossible trust, impossibly trusting that God will see his sin and give him grace anyway. Will see his failures and give him love anyway. So my mom, uh, my mom died about a year and a half or a year and a quarter ago. And there was like no way I knew that when my mother passed away, that shame was going to come over me. Like, I mean, shame was going to come over me like a tsunami. Because I wasn't. I wasn't the best son that I could be. I lost a ton of patience. They would, I, could, I could tell you stories that could make you lose respect for me. Let me tell you one now. My mom, she was sick. She was a paranoid schizophrenic and she was a person who, um, my mother was a person who would um, uh, maybe act in certain ways um, at certain times so that she could uh, get you to do what she wanted you to do, you know? And she was, you know, as a paranoid schizophrenic, she wanted, you know. So, so I would, um, I came to the house and she was pretending uh, to not be able to get up from the bed because I thought she wanted me to stay there with her and I had to leave. I was there already an hour or two. I could, she was pretending. That's what I told myself. I said, Ma, you need to sit up. If you don't sit up, then I'm going to call the ambulance. I forgot to tell you this part. There's nothing that my mother feared more than going to the hospital. They would put her in a psych ward in Woodhall. It would be the ninth floor back then. And I don't know if you've ever been to the ninth floor of Woodhall. It was a horrible place. You'd rather go to Rikers Island than go to Woodhall in the ninth floor. She was deathly afraid, and I was going to use the thing that she feared the most. I told her, I will call the hospital. I will have them come pick you up. You will be in there for a long time. You better get up. She forced herself with the little strength that she had to sit up. I said, no. And then she was bent over. I said, sit up straight. And she couldn't. I said, that's it. I'm going to call the hospital. And you could see her working as hard as she could to get a little bit straight. She had a stroke. I'm yelling at her to get up. She had a stroke. The old lady didn't deserve that. Ever. Perfect she was not. But the old lady didn't deserve that. She deserved a better son. She never got him. She got me.
can we, can we just admit that there is some stuff that we've done? Like, not, not fake stuff, not imaginary stuff, it's real. And that that stuff that we've done can so paralyze us in shame that we feel like we can't even, we can't even have a conversation with another person. So God invites us to the impossible. God invites us to the improbable. God invites us to the thing that will blow your mind. To trust him with the weight of your shame. Have mercy on me. Not a mistake maker. Have mercy on me. Not a person who blows it from time to time. Have mercy on me. A gross, terrible sinner who would treat his mom in a way that she didn't deserve. See, this is a path that we're walking through if we're going to go through this, this town of shame. We're going to have to have gutsy guilt knowing that we're guilty but going to God and trusting that he's available to us. We're going to have to believe and have this impossible trust knowing that God gives grace. He gives grace. Undeserved favor. Unmerited love. He gives it. If I was going to write something next to that impossible trust, I would write a hope that doesn't disappoint. On the path that enables us to break the power of shame, we will be led through gutsy guilt, impossible trust, and then a humble rest. A humble rest. Do you see that here? This is what Jesus says about this man. He says this, those who humble themselves, those are the ones who will be lifted up. Those who humble themselves, those are the ones who will be lifted up. But check this out. Those who fake this boldness, those who are arrogant and proud, those are the ones who will be humbled. That's why, that's why we can't stand when we in our congregation, when we find ourselves acting in a way that makes us look better or, 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 or more righteous or more like when we get arrogant. It's just so crazy to me. It's so crazy to me for us to see a person who can't get clean and get lose patience. I just hate that about myself when I lose patience with someone who can't get clean because there's some things I can't get clean from. It's terrible when we find ourselves not giving time to less savory people in our congregation because we think that we're better than that. It's a terrible thing that we need to run to Jesus and go, Jesus, this is the truth about me. I think I'm better than them. Wait, 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 wait. 
If we go through gutsy guilt and if we go through the impossible trust, we will find a humble rest. We will find that there's never been another person who's more sinful than we are. That's why when I share my sin with you, I want to remind you, number one, there's none of you, not one of you here who's worse than me. I'm worse than, and believe me, I could tell you a lot more. I'm the worst person here. And I desperately need the grace of Jesus to not only wash my sins, but to remind my heart of his love. And so shame sometimes is the only way that God can get your attention to come to him. So don't let it press upon you like a weight. Don't bury it like an enemy, but rather have gutsy guilt and impossible trust and a humble rest. It's a humility that makes you buoyant. It's a humility that lifts you up. It's a hum... Could you imagine? What would life be like? What would life be like if you go into that party and you see that person who knows your secrets? I told you this, this happened to me last week. I went to a party with my family. It was like a family reunion with a bunch of our cousins. We had some of our aunts there. Pretty much everybody who's in New York, obviously the people who were in Puerto Rico didn't show up, but, but those who were in New York like, got together, and I saw this one person, and it just kicked up a shame in me, like they knew a secret about me. And I was like, ooh. And that, they were so kind and loving to me, but throughout the entire night, I was waiting. I was waiting because you know how like you know what happens in family reunions right you bring up stupid stuff from the past and I was like oh, okay here we go where is the exit from here and there was a there was like this rebellious I think godly fight in my heart if they bring it up, we're going to rejoice in the fact that Jesus has seen this. And he knows far worse than whatever anybody here can say about you. And he loves you with a passionate love. He hugs you with both arms. He makes space for you at the table that he eats at. I can rejoice in Christ, not because you guys don't know everything about me, but even if you did, Jesus knows everything about me, and he pursues me with love and affection. We need to allow shame to lead us. Could you imagine what life would be like if you started to say, I'm going to find my identity, not in my reputation, not in my self-sufficiency, not in my longing for the approval of others. I'm going to find it in Jesus and find myself at rest in him. Could you imagine the freedom, the freedom that you would have? Like I, I imagine myself in that party and then that person bringing it up and I imagine myself now laughing. Wasn't that crazy? Wasn't that wild? I was so stupid back then. And then maybe even saying a secret or two about them. No, that part I don't. I don't imagine myself saying. But I do imagine myself, I really do. I imagine myself laughing in the security that I have in Jesus. And just going, oh yeah, that's not the half of it. 
There's so much more. But Jesus has received and loved and cared for me. Could you imagine what your life would be like? What would it be like? It would be amazing.